He had recognized me from house parties that my DJ and I did around the way. So when I tell people hip hop saved my life, I am not BSing. Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know with the stories you want to hear. Today, I'm joined by another one of my Philly fam. Uh, he is a musician artist that combines hip hop and live orchestration. Yes, that is, we're going to get into that, but he's been featured at the world famous Philadelphia Kimball Center a number of times. He, I got to see them in New York at the world famous Lincoln Center back in 2015. They've been on tour around the U.S. selling out venues. And what he also does is lately when he's been on tour, he gets his orchestra from local musicians in the area to play with him. So each one teach one, bringing the music back to the local communities. And a majority of them are ethnic minorities. So that's a whole nother level to that, bringing the classic music into hip hop and showing that black people and people of color can do this shit. I'm talking about my boy, Mr. Jeff, the Phantom McNeil in the house. How's it going, man? Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Nah, bruh. Thanks for doing this for me. I love having my friends, uh, my friends and family highlighted on the, for, so the people around the world can know who they is. <laughs> for sure. For <laughs> so I always like to start from the beginning. Because mm -hmm. you've been doing music since you could breathe and read. So <laughs> <It felt like it. laughs> where in Philly are you actually from? Uh, originally born in North Philly. Um, my first sort of consciousness moment um, was in the North Philly section around, uh, wow, I want to say North uh, 13th Street, like 13th and Allegheny and stuff like that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I was introduced to to music at a really early age. Um, my mom sang around the house. My father had huge record collections. So so there was always some form of, of music surrounding me. Um, so it was definitely part of my part of my life for sure. Did you grow up playing an instrument or I first got into singing. Uh, I was a soprano well into my, to my teens. I sang on the church choir. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, join the um, club. That whole male soprano kid thing. <laughs> yeah, my mom my mom got me into flute and piano lessons. Um, I think I was around around eight years old. Um, you know, just just to keep me off the streets. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in, in North Philly at that time was sort of uh it was rough, you know, and this was this was pre crack. <laughs> but it was still, you know, it was it was still rough. Um, but you know, uh, I I would grow into you know my love of music through through those interactions with your dad's record collection was there a lot of classical mixed into that because i know that you mixed together some beats when you were like eight nine ten around around 13 or so um, okay. my father pretty much had everything from from motown to mozart um uh, you know, I, I remember spending hours in front of the record collection, just just you know, listening to everything. Of course, the the Motown and you know, um, 
a lot of the the jazz and mm. you know the old funk records and stuff like that. I really got into sort of classical music when my brother started to bring home, you know, some John Williams scores, Superman and mm -hmm. um, Star Wars and, and things of that nature. Um, as a matter of fact, my brother and I had a b-boy routine um, where we used Darth Vader's theme as the intro, you know, so we would circle around, dun, 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 you know, and then we would go into to our, our b-boy routine, you know, using using some other music. But yeah, it was it was it was omnipresent. So when I was sort of introduced to to hip hop, you know, after the record collection, after mm. playing flute and piano and stuff like that, it didn't sound or feel like other music, right? Mm -hmm. It felt like you know something I could I could definitely listen to and and be a part of because by that time I was writing parody songs of Thriller and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> so I was I was already writing songs, um, so mixing the Beastie Boys Paul Revere sound like it fit with Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And I remember putting it on tape, taking it to my friend's house. And back in 87, there was no blueprint for hip hop meeting orchestra, right? Hip hop right. was basically drum driven and, and some samples were were mixed in, but there was no there was no classical music. So I played it for him. He ejected the tape out, threw it across the room and told me it would never work. <laughs> Sorry, damn. That is, that is rejection and a half, but absolutely your best friend. Right. And this, you know, that was, that was a watershed moment for me. Cause I was like, I'm going to show you, uh -huh. you know, and, and I became married to it, you know, married to the idea, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. And, and, you know, I would, I would be in hip hop groups, you know, through, through my teens up to, you know, and, and most of my DJs was like, yeah, I'm not, we're not sampling that. We're going to sample the James Brown records that everyone, but in the back of my mind, like I still heard this. So when I finally got on my own and bought my own equipment and stuff like that, you know, I started on my journey of really, really doing the stuff that I heard when I was 13. There, there's, there's a lot of layers in what you just said. Uh, one as a young black male being told you can't do something <laughs> is already a trigger for you to go, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> like do whether anyway. you like it or not, I'm going to do this. And trust me, I know that because that's how that's my mode of operation straight up. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. two from your own people to tell you that is yeah. especially when it comes to music, because what people don't realize who didn't grow up in black communities in the U.S. is that we are not gatekeepers, but we're very prideful about what black culture is. And we will do yes. whatever it takes to protect that legacy. And that includes telling somebody you ain't shit. You ain't going to make it. Stop. Stop trying to be white. Stop trying to do this. Right. That's not our music. That's not there. But the fact that you heard this and knew it worked so well and nobody else was doing it already goes to show that you had something special, whether no matter who saw, no matter what other person saw or not, the gift was given to you. And I'm glad you kept with it because where we're going to get into where you are now, selling out venues around the U.S., Dope, man. Like, and again, bringing in specifically bringing in the ethnic minority representation of classical music and uh, musicians right. and instrumentations. 
like we don't get seen a lot even right. in, even in the uh like you've played with the Philadelphia uh harmonic or the Philadelphia orchestra and yes. so you know like representation in these quote unquote institutionalized orchestras is very limited when it comes to what's being seen as the people that can play or seen as being able to play these things right so, so tying into that, there's a, there's a lot of things that you say that I want to, I want to touch on. Um, the, um, I'll kind of jump into the middle. Yeah. The, uh, one of the individuals who played with us from the Philadelphia orchestra was a violist by the name of Reynard Edwards. And his mm -hmm. story is he is the first black musician to be afforded the opportunity to perform with the Philadelphia orchestra Bay way back in, I think in 1972. Um, you know, and I, I was able to to later, you know, after realizing who he was and what he meant, you know, to to the legacy that I would then try to, you know, stand on the shoulders of, you know, he he told me that he he recognized what I was trying to do. Right. Um, you know, because um, trying to do something that up until that point wasn't done before, you know, I would say the the largest pushback, like you said, came from the gatekeepers of black culture mm -hmm. um we were roundly rejected by the local hip-hop community for a very long time because they felt as though we were doing something that was highfalutin or something that, that wasn't wasn't black enough mm -hmm. right um you know in in our first couple of performances we would be dragging members of the philadelphia orchestra in the chamber orchestra of philadelphia out to clubs and stuff like that if you can imagine drag dragging 50 or 60 year old white people out to perform hip-hop it gets <laughs> It gets kind of tiring for them, um, but I think I think a switch was flipped when we consciously made the decision to seek out musicians who, like ourselves, fit you know the mm -hmm. the idea right. Who grew up with both hip hop and went to a conservatory to play the violin or mm -hmm. the piano and stuff like that. So there wasn't this separation. So when we then presented that on stage the audience was like ah right, right? jay-z's song does contain a piano you know this there is a flute in big pimpin or you know this mm -hmm. this beethoven in bc boy it does go you know so it was it was easily it was more easily digestible to them because they saw themselves represented on stage and we took notice to yeah. that um we don't we don't purposely exclude anyone however we are purposeful with who we present on stage and in um you know we are purposeful also purposeful in seeking out individuals who may not normally come to a carnegie hall or mm -hmm. a kennedy center or a kimmel center and promoting to them and saying hey this is your chance to come and be yourself in this space that you might not normally travel to Uh, there's an interesting word you said as well, that he was afforded the opportunity to play with the Philadelphia uh, Orchestra. Because, yes. again, you know, uh, I, for I forget his name now. Uh, going historically, there is a there's a black European who is actually the original Mozart or mm -hmm. the original Beethoven. Right. Uh, and people are like, oh, Chibaya. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. And people are like, <laughs> oh, he's 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 like he's like a he's like a young black baby. And it's like, but you do realize he got his Beethoven got his inspiration from him. Like the whole right. thing was he was the original, but like history repeats itself over and over again with the you take the dream girls movie with cadillac car and right. you know it's it's our sound and it's what we do but we can't have credit for it so they come in and appropriate our sound and make it something different and it histo- history goes down like this was the greatest guy ever when rig- originally someone else came before right so right. for for ray to have this for uh, being afforded the opportunity, he had to prove himself that he was good enough compared yeah. to his contemporaries to be able to even step foot into those doors where Absolutely. I'm sure that he was already killing them strings. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Phenomenal, phenomenal viewers. Absolutely. Ugh. Without question. But then I want to go back a little bit further. What triggered? Okay, one, you said Mozart from Motown to Mozart. That's the name of a show. Number one. Number two. <laughs> right. How did you hear Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys in Mo- What in those two synced for you? And where can we hear that? Uh, so. Um... For me, um, I would say like the summer, maybe two summers before that, like my brother and I were, you know, immersed in the John Williams scores and and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, So I was already thinking in terms of hip hop and some sort of, you know, orchestral component. Mm -hmm. Um, What hadn't occurred to me is that it wasn't being done. It's just something I heard. so when uh, the summer of 87, when he brought home the Beastie Boys, Paul Revere, I remember playing that instrumental over and over. And I was like, I wonder if, and I'm playing it in my head. And I was like, I can do this, right? So I got both records. Went to my double tape deck turntable, you know, recorded the the BC Boys instrumental first, and then sort of cut in Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which was blasphemy at the time, trying to cut, you know, a classical record, <laughs> um, you know, scratch on a classical record. Um, but you know, I remember putting it on on the tape. Where you can hear it now is all, all over our YouTube page. Like we've actually released the song. It's called B B Boy Meets Beethoven. Um, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's about a four minute song and it really kind of takes you through the journey of, of how I came up with it and where we've gone since then. So is, are there, is it an instrumental or is there vocals laid on top of it now as well? There are vocals. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I wrote, I wrote a rhyme to it back then, but it wasn't as good as the updated version. <laughs> well, you were what? 12, 13, you said at this point? About 13 years old, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure your <laughs> skills have leveled up slightly at this point. <laughs> I, would, I would say yes. <laughs> All right, so we're 13 years old. We make our first cut of Paul Revere and, Beto- and Beethoven's Fifth. We were rejected by our best friend. Like, literally, <laughs> get the shit out of here. <laughs> right, right what did you do next? How did you go back? What kept you, what, what was the next composition, so to speak? So, 
the um, the next I mean, so I, I I would you know still be making those tapes, but I would I wouldn't let people hear them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I I then got into several rap groups, um, and you know again like everyone else, you know spitting rhymes over over um, funky drummer. Mm-hmm. By James Brown and other samples uh, around that time, um, but it, but I always kept those those tapes and those ideas of of you know Mozart or or um, Vivaldi's Four Seasons that mm-hmm. I you know had cut up into you know some samples and stuff like that. I, I always kept those ideas. So when I got my my own equipment, you know, I bought myself a, a MPC drum machine and I you know brought uh, turntables and a mixer. Um, you know, I would start to work on that stuff, uh, I would say, in my, my late teens, um, you know, really producing those ideas. Um, and then I would say in my early 20s, um, uh, connecting with someone from the Kimmel Center. The Kimmel Center put something in the Philadelphia City paper about them looking for, uh, well, they were opening up the Kimmel Center. Yeah, and I know it was built. Um, you know, they were they were looking for new ideas and, and new audiences to to bring in. And I went down there with my demo tape in hand and said, listen, I have what you're looking for, right? I mix hip hop and classical music. If you're looking to to attract a newer, different audience than what you've been getting, um, you know, this may be it. They listened to it, they were like, Hey, listen, we're opening up, we're gonna have something called the summer solstice celebration. And we're going to pair you with members of the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Chamber Orchestra of Philadelphia. What? And yeah, and this, you know, and and this was one of our first performances with with an or you know uh, a live orchestra. Um, and you know, they had done some some good marketing in it. I was down uh, speaking to people from the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Daily News, and and got my picture in the paper and all that stuff. And the night of the show, they put us on at like one a.m. You know, <laughs> the night of the show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. The night of the show, there was a line into the lobby. Right. We packed the place at one o'clock um, in the morning. One o'clock in the morning. You know, oh. and my wife tells the story. She was in the elevator with with the guy who was on his way down. And he had his arms folded and his lip poked out. I'm going to see what this hip hop orchestra thing is about. And he didn't know she was part of it. And, and, you know, she was like, you know, I hope you enjoy it. And the guy came, plopped himself right in the front row, you know, sit down with his arms folded. By the end of the show, he was jumping up, yelling and screaming. And he came to the foot of the stage and hugged me and damn near broke my neck because he was so excited about what it is that he he had heard. Um, And so he was like, this is phenomenal. Dude, that is... I, I know this story, but that's still hearing it and reimagining that whole play out happening. Because also, historically speaking, what a lot of people don't realize is Philadelphia is a music town. Yes. We have yes. from everything, from rap to rock to R&B to the, the Philadelphia sound, Cinderella's from, like, we've, we've got everything in Philly. Yes. Yeah. So... Th- this gentleman coming down again goes back into that uh it's not an ego but it is it's that pridefulness about what we do in philly and what yes. is capable of being done and now we're at the Kimmel center 
which at this right. point in its inception is the largest venue in Philadelphia for live music and uh, orchestration. Like it is, it was before the Walt Disney Hall in Los Angeles, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yep, absolutely. So it, we're on that level. So for, for for me to hear that you went down and was like, hey, I got something for you. And they're like, yeah, cool. Yeah, we're going to put you on at one o'clock because that's also that's also yes. a statement to what what they had faith in you capable of doing. Right. That, right. Know, we'll, we'll put them in, but we'll put them in at one o'clock. So if it doesn't go well, we're like, oh, OK. Really <laughs> in. How the hell? Do right. you, how, OK, so which hall were you in? Uh, so we were in the basement. <laughs> so it's it's like a. Um, I, I so want to say stop, stop. Yes, of course, <laughs> of course, the basement. I, I want to say I want to say it was the it was the dance studio at that time. Um, so they put black drapes on the, on the mirrors and lined it up with with about I want to say about four hundred chairs, about four hundred chairs, um, and it was a little mock stage that we had. Yeah. Oh, if the odds weren't against you. <laughs> If this wasn't a setup and a half, right, right, just like you know what we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna say that we gave this hip hop orchestra a platform, right. In the can't say we didn't give them a chance. Yeah, literally. And you packed the place, packed the place, packed the place so much, and the the outpouring of of love was so great that we got invited back next year for the, the summer salsa celebration and we're put on the Perlman stage. And this time, um, we drew a bigger audience than Itzak Perlman, who was performing in the, in the venue across the hall at the same time. What? Yeah. Yo, you dropping bars right now, bruh. That's and this is before this is before my marketing game had kicked in, right? Like this was just this was just word of mouth. You know, we gotta come see this. And this is at the beginning. This is at the beginning. So could could you imagine? Well, let's not imagine, but could you imagine if that one day of playing that tape for your best stopped you? Right. Right. And as I think I said, about that often. Man, because not only did you break through the imminent barriers that were placed, even though they were open to you by being placed in the basement <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> right. Your light shone through so much that you got bumped up the ne- you got invited back the next year bumped up to a to a real venue I'm sorry I'm just going to say the real venue right and outsold a quote unquote named artist that was playing across the hall because people had to see what you were doing so let me so yeah. let me ask so let me ask this in that year were you doing more club venues were what was there was there another guerrilla marketing that you were doing to get your name out that got more people interested or was it from the year before? So we were, we were doing some club venues. Like I said, we, we were dragging members of the Philadelphia orchestra out, you know, to some, uh, you know, some just early Philly clubs, five spot. And, and I was going to say like that. the five spot warm daddies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so, so the word kind of spread and we were, we were getting more articles and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and, and as we sort of grew in that, that Kimmel Center classical space, um, the, the noise from the hip hop community got a little louder, right? Like all mm. these dudes, you know, they're not, they're not real hip hop, you know, much, know. much like this, much like the stuff that the roots heard in the beginning, you mm-hmm. know, that, that made them say, F you guys, we're going to Europe. We're going to tour over there. We're going to come back with our pockets full and then we're going to show you. Um, so it was much, much along the lines of, of that, you know, we would go out to clubs and the guy who was doing sound came up to me, you're a dope MC, but you don't need all that on stage. I was like, I want all that on stage, <laughs> right? Like, what? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what is all that? It's, it's musicians playing music, like literally. Right. Well, this, that, this, has no one ever been to a concert? Okay, so this is the other thing. Because a lot of because a lot of musicians do this now as well, that when they do live concerts, not just backtracks, they actually have a band on stage. So right. has no and you know, Earth Wind and Fire, Cool and the Game, like these were all bands. We know them as disco, but they were bands that played music. So how is how are people so confused on what actual music is to say right. you're doing too much, you're you're bringing something together? People play instruments and, all the time. And not not only these were these bands that we love, these were bands that hip hop sampled. Right. Right. So <laughs> so the music was there. So to see it reproduced is not something different, right? It's not something that's that's out of this world. But these were these were gatekeepers because their favorite local MCs was were just bringing a CD, yep. you know, or a DAT tape and telling the sound man, sound man. Go to track number six, right? Yeah. We were just seamlessly going from song to song, you know, because we had live instrumentation and the DJ. Yeah. Um, you know, so so to them it felt different. It felt like we were putting on airs. We we didn't have any money. We didn't we weren't making any money, but this was this was the idea that we had. You know, we were just we were just putting it on stage and and, and trying it out. And you know, um eventually I would say also what caught up to us was the uh the classical musicians noticed that we drew more more people than than exact Perlman, and that didn't sit well with them they were okay oh when we were in the basement (laughs) this isn't going to go anywhere right this isn't going to go anywhere we're going to do this you know we're going to this is going to be fun this is something to put on a resume you know, uh, <laughs> hands across America type stuff, right? <laughs> but the, the, the moment, the moment that it became something that threatened their legends, right? Now was a problem. Oh, we don't want to play eight bar loops, and we don't want to do this, and yep. we're not going out to the and and it became an issue. And again, like my friend ejecting the tape, that became a watershed moment where we decided, hey, you know what? we can probably find musicians who want to play this and would enjoy playing this and would um, show up on stage and make the audience believe that they loved playing this, right? Because anybody can play the notes, you know, right. you put, you put the music together, right? You can play the notes, but you're not emoting the music. Yeah. We're going right? to talk about that spotty, I did uh thing that's going around a little, yeah, <laughs> that shit, but yeah. Um, so, (laughs) 
So you mentioned, comically, you mentioned uh, the Five Spot and the Roots. For people that don't know, the Five Spot is a famous music venue that was in Philadelphia, that was in Philly uh, back in the day for many years. And that is where many of our artists today, uh, Jill Scott, uh, Kindred Family Spirit, uh, The Roots, Jaguar Wright, uh, who else? There's so many people. Jazzy Fat Nasties. Yeah. Yeah, like everybody, like the five, the five spot was the spot, right? So how did you? How was that received? How were you received in the five spot? Well, first it started off with me just attending a, um, a dice raw from who's down with the roots mm-hmm. was having just open mics and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and I would go up and spit verses and stuff like that, and you know I noticed I was getting some love, so I, you know I I, I asked. Um, the owner, like, hey, can we, can we perform here? Um, you know, and that that became uh, a spot that we did. Um, I would say that that the 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 love that we received there would kind of translate to some of the the other clubs um, that we performed at, some which no longer exist, like G's Black House and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but it, you know, it, it really showed that we could have a foothold. In, in that scene, um, you know, of course, my idea was um, to take it out of out of clubs and put it into concert halls and invite that audience to concert halls. Mm-hmm. Um, clubs aren't, aren't really set up to, to have a, a, a string quartet and, a <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> a pianist and, and stuff like that. So I, I knew early on that the concert hall um, in the theater was what we were were aiming for. All right, so I want to back up real quick because you started off as a singer, and then now yeah. you're now you're now you're an MC spitting bars. Where did that transition come in? Um, it did. I mean, so there wasn't really a uh, a point in time where I decided not to sing. It was just. When hip hop hit me, like I wrote my first, I want to say, rap at like eight or nine. Mm. Um, and it was just like, all right, you know, I like this. Because um, I had never, other than choir, like I had, I, I wasn't a, a solo singer or anything like that. And I wasn't part of a group. Um, but, you know, when hip hop hit me, like I felt like it was my voice. I felt like that's, this is something I could. I could really sink my teeth into it. I was, you know, eight or nine, right? Like, yeah. but it really kind of, it really kind of took, took hold of me um, and sort of guided the, you know, what I would do as, as far as composition of songs and, and you know, uh, like I tried every facet of hip hop. I was, you know, I was a, a, a b boy. I, I I tried briefly being a DJ. You know, I, I used to do graffiti. You know, um, MC is what kind of really stuck. Mm-hmm. with me um and sort of the the galvanizing moment for that happened uh, i would say uh 16 or 17 when you know uh my dj and i at the time used to do house parties a- around the way um and one summer i was coming from uh, a friend of mine's going away party he was going into the army and we were on the corner of 22nd and and lehigh waiting for the bus it was around one or two in the morning and we were approached by some stick-up kids. Now, this is, mm. you know, early 90s. This is, you know, 
Um, you notice that some of your friends don't show up for school next year because they're they're no longer with us, right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is new this is North Philly um, at its finest. <laughs> at its finest, <laughs> I would say. Right. <laughs> and you know the guy approaches on the corner like we're we're standing under under a light post waiting for the bus, and he takes out a shotgun. Um, and you know, he's like, he's looking at me, looking at us, looking at me. And then he kind of cocks his head to the side. and was like, Oh, yo, let me pay my respects and gave me a dap and walked off. And before he got back in the car, I was like, keep rapping. He had recognized me from house parties that my DJ and I did around the way. So when I tell people hip hop, Save my life. I am not BSing. Hip hop saved my life. Yo, that (laughs) that is some madass. One, that is some madass respect for a homie to have a shotgun. But normally we don't pull out shotgun. I'm doing it. That that we is a proverbial we. It's (laughs) it's just. So people get it straight. Right. But not you and I. You're right. <laughs> right. It's not normally a shotgun. So homie was serious about this. He was serious. He was a stick-up kid. Shotgun gets pulled. He w- waits and recognizes and goes, yo, I need let me pay my respects. Keep keep rhyming, keep rapping, keep like. Yeah. I'm going to say, I, I said it earlier that you had this light, you had this gift that was shining through no matter what anybody else was saying. And the fact that this dude, stick up kid, who yeah. honestly doesn't give a shit about anything, like no, no. It, nothing. The fact that he was like, you know what? This kid's got something. I'm going to go. Yeah. That shit does not happen. Yeah, no, no. He knew what we didn't have. He knew we didn't have any money, but <laughs> that, that that didn't stop. You know, that didn't stop the stick up kids from sticking you up, right? No, um, they would take your shoes. I was about to, I was about uh, to say, um, depending on what kicks you had, bro, it was yeah. as long as it wasn't Lee yeah. Jeans, you was you was getting stuck. <laughs> you were getting stuck. Um, you know, and he uh, he recognized us. He recognized me. From you know a house from house parks, um, and we were we were killing those house parties. So I think you know, I think I think my DJ for those opportunities, um, you know. But you know, hip hop literally saved my life, man. Who rocked the party that rocked the body? Hey, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, damn, I'm I'm stuck on I'm I'm not stuck, but I'm trapped in that. Just like that image. That's powerful shit. So, it's really funny. As well, because once again, we have we have peeps who are actively working against right you succeeding right throughout this time. Yet during this, how old were you around around this time? That had to be around sixteen or seventeen. Okay, great. So we're so we're still in the foundational moments. Of right. what's going to be the Phantom and the uh, Ill Harmonic. Right. This one dude who shouldn't give a fuck, who shouldn't care, actually gives you, and not even joking, actually gives you 
the lane to do what you're doing, while other people who actually do care are not. Right. That ain't a juxtaposition. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Yeah. I I think about that all the time as well. Um, You know, the series of events that that lead up to that, you know, um, meeting that DJ at school, um, you know, in in, uh, forming a group with him and then doing house parties in in North Philly and then that, right? Um, If any one of those things doesn't happen, I may not be here, right? Like physically here. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 crazy. Yo, I hear a movie deal in the in the future just called <laughs> Real Harmonic. Like it you know, we're, we're actually we're actually working on a documentary. Um in in the documentary, I'll definitely be be telling that story as well. Yeah, sure. you definitely have to. Because <laughs> that's some power that's some power bruh. Damn. All right, so <laughs> we're gonna fast forward back again. So now, <laughs> so now, so now we have our life. We we we, we, right. we literally we literally still have our soul with us at this point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've made our way into uh, the Camel Center. They put us in the ba- They put us in the basement. <laughs> uh, we outperform the expectations. How did you get to convince? the uh, musicians from the orchestra to follow you into the clubs because once you, because once we made it upstairs, well, we're moving on up. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Once we made it upstairs, it started being a problem because you were taking away time and space. So how did you, and I know you said that's when it started clicking to get the representation from others, but how did you convince them in the beginning mm-hmm. to follow you to the clubs? Um, so, so lucky for for us, the sales pitch was was kind of easy, right? Um, for for young ethnic musicians, the you know it it kind of gets it kind of dawns on them early in their their career as well that they may not make it to be on the Philadelphia Orchestra or the the Philadelphia Pops or, or, or something to that. Um, and this was an alternative, right? This represented something that you could also do while playing the instrument that you love, that you've spent thousands of hours on and your parents have spent thousands of dollars to get you those, those lessons. This is also a way for you to express yourself. Oh, actually I meant, how'd you get the white people from the orchestra to follow you to the clubs? Oh, I paid them. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was transactional. Right? Simple. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Transactional. Yeah. <laughs> the quickness with that answer and just the straight yeah. up, I paid him. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it was, tra- it was transactional. Uh, okay. Sure. There we go. That's it. So, so now, it wasn't Philadelphia Orchestra scale, but you know, they. They had rent and stuff They're, as well. Right, you so, know, you know it takes some extra money. And again, it's the little pat 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 the little pat pat the little black boy on the head and give him give him right. some change and see him on his way. All right. So yeah. now so now uh we're those in the community that see this opportunity, that I right. understand that it speaks yes. to them. They get to do that quote unquote cross genre that cro- cross genre. 
path as well, that yes. they don't have to separate themselves from institution and their community that they grew up in. Right. They now can be whole, which we all struggled with as a kid anyway, just depending yes. on, especially, especially in Philly, just again, trying to, trying to do something outside of the street norm. Right. Yeah. So now, now, now we're spring rolling or spring rolling. Now, now we're rolling. It's going to say springboarding, but spring rolling came out. Uh, where, where, where do we go from here? So I started, um, looking at, you know, once I started getting the college age musicians, you know, I started to seek a lane into the college theater mm. sort of, you know, college venue sort of thing. Um, you know, colleges, pay for entertainment, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they pay you whether it's one, 100 or 1000 people that show up to see you, they mm -hmm. cut a check right. that much. I knew. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I started to, I started to look at, you know, some of the local area colleges, Swarthmore and, and, and things of that nature. We started to get some of those, those things coming in. Um, and then, um, I had the idea of, all right, well, if you guys can afford to pay me this, how how much does it cost to rent one of these college venues and put on my own event? Oh, so I started to look at that, right? I started to look at, um, you know, what was the production overhead and stuff like that. And one of the the first shows that we were able to sort of present through a friend of mine who used to work at Third Story Recording in, in Philadelphia, sort of a mentor, Mark Sariski, um, rest in peace. Um, you know, he worked, he then moved to University of Texas and he said, yo, we've got some venues down here. Um, you know, you, you should, you should investigate. So one of the first events that I produced on my own was a performance at Bates Recital Hall and Bates Recital Hall seats 700 people. Um, and you know, the, the overhead was kind of low in Texas is, um, you know, Austin specifically mm. has is like the la live music capital of of the United States. So, like, hey, if I can get my foot in here, I can get my foot in anywhere. Right. Um, and I had some friends down there as well, and we started to promote, right? Like, we started to 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 really, you know, promote that show, and the show sold out like two months before the show happened. I was like, what? This I can do, right? So, so <laughs> now we've taken it from. So now we've taken it from, um, you know, venues paying you probably a quarter of what you could get if you produce your own show. Mm -hmm. How big can we do this? <laughs> right. Um, so then that that idea kind of grow grew to kind of what we what we are now. You know, our mm -hmm. motto is um, kind of finding some venues with with low overhead that we can we can sell out or being booked for something along the lines of that so it's a it's a it's a combination of both but you know at present you know we're we're averaging like a thousand tickets sold per event and and packing these places in man and it's 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 been it's been an amazing ride for sure and it's been dope as hell to see your ride going as well and that you're just Cause also you, at one point you were work, well, you're still working, but you were working at another store and you left that right. to, uh, give more time and energy and space yes. to developing this. 
was at was there ever an idea of release okay uh because the live music thing is what we're doing a lot of now was there ever a i know this but just so people know was there ever a uh record deal or album in play in all of this so um we've released three albums thus far um the first one was probably um early 2000s um you know followed up with with several other releases um but yeah so we've obviously made music with the intent of that music being performed live so you know all the thoughts that i had in my head from from 13 years old you know um not only just sampling Vivaldi and Mozart and and you know Chopin and mm. Rachmaninoff, but composing music from the ground up, um, you know, and and having that be be part of the repertoire. But all of that stuff was with the idea of having live orchestral accompaniment throughout all of the performances. I probably haven't gotten on stage without some sort of orchestral accompaniment. And in about 20 years, um, and I don't miss, <laughs> I don't miss not performing with it. Right. Um, and it's not, and it's not a crutch. It's just, you know, this is what, this is what I envision. And this is, this is how I love for the music that's in my head to be presented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, for, for us, it's, it's something we do for every show. It's not a one-off. Like you may see a famous rapper with, you know, um, uh, backed by an orchestra and they do it for one show. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for us, this is something we do each and every time we step on stage. Yeah. Um, When your repertoire, is it mainly uh, original songs or is it mainly covers or is it a mix? It's a mix. It's definitely a mix of, you know, uh, original music that we've had over the years um, with, you know, probably some some regional music right like mm. if we're doing atlanta we'll we'll throw in some ti or we'll throw in some outcast um you know and, and stuff like that for new york it was it was really a lot of homage to to new york mcs um you know if we're, we're doing dc we came out to an orchestral cover of the butt right <laughs> um you know so <laughs> so you know it's and it's it's really us showing that all of this music is possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've we put strings in the butt, right? Like it's drums and horns, but we added strings to that. Um, you know, so it's it's really showing the possibilities of what a hip hop orchestra can encompass, you know, can can encompass, you know, and it's it's all of the culture that yeah. people didn't think that <laughs> you could have, you know. Uh, what's her name? Ben Amiri. Ben Amiri. Yes. Uh, people don't, yeah, people don't realize how many, uh, hip hop tracks as a violinist she's actually played on. Right. Like, so as you said earlier, all of these instrumentations are there, but people get lost in the kick beat, the 808, the, the baseline of it. They're like, oh, yeah, but they're not realizing that because I actually grew up playing violin and viola. So I know the power of a string that right. whenever you hear a, a, a string symphony or quartet or whatever it is play, you get moved. There's right. something that resonates in there 
that listen, listen to almost any soundtrack of a movie, what actually moves you, what tells the emotion of the story. Honestly, it's the strings. Like, of course, like the trump is the keys and everything. But once you get that string playing, man. Yeah. So yeah. with your with your with the ill harmonic. Is it primarily strings? Because you started out with strings, but is it now a full uh, wind brass string section and cushion? Or yeah, it's it's strings, horns, woodwinds, um, harp, piano, DJ. Like we 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 have it all. Um, and it's 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 funny that you you mentioned like the the music that's in there. Like most most people don't know that um, even in even in some of the um, music that's being made made now with keyboards, like the keyboard is mimicking a real instrument. Mm. Um, you know, you know, case case in point, right? Like we do a cover of Big Papa. Um, and people are like, oh man, you 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 sort of you sort of, you know, uh orchestrated that 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 beginning part where the, the keyboard goes do we put a fluke there. And somebody's like, oh man, how'd you come up with like like you know that that instrument that he was playing was mimicking a flute, right? Like it's like what? What do you think makes a high pitch sound like that? Like it's supposed to be a flute. So when we actually play that line with the flute, the audience goes nuts. <laughs> but you know, you know what? In, in in general population's defense, music right. isn't taught in school as it used to, as it used to right. be, or yeah. it's not referenced as it should be. So a lot right. of people just know these digital synth quote-unquote instruments that right. that's what they are they don't realize that it actually emulates a real instrument sound it's just cheaper to produce without it right <laughs> that's it oh that but that's oh you you played a flute there that's dope yeah, <laughs> thank you that's what that's what music is but right. glad you enjoy it. <laughs> right. uh, but it's, uh, it's also cool to see that light bulb turn yeah. on right like it's yeah it's it's cool But that's the magic. That's the, actually the magic of what you're doing is, again, you're orchestrating. You're going back to the meat rawness of music right. in a genre that has been so digitalized. Right. That right. even and it's interesting because you look easiest person is a uh, guru, jazzmatazz, like the whole right. jazz influence in hip hop was all instrumentation. Right. So Gangstar was one of the dope, like people are like, yo, this shit, ma. And it's like, but how can you, how can you relate to that? Right. But then this is so foreign and disrespectful to you. <laughs> so right. I, yeah, you know, like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's where, and, and part of it, part of it is the, the being unknown right mm. um you know one of the first embodiments of my idea that i saw come to fruition was coolio playing you know performing on the grammys um with a with a string section for gangster's paradise mm -hmm. um in retrospect you can tell they weren't actually playing it they were just on a platform and it looked like they were playing it um but i was like that's it right like and mm. that was that was early 90s i was like that's it that's my idea this is this is what i've been i've been talking about um and people were losing their mind about that because coolio had a hit record 
right? Um, you know, in the absence of a hit record, people are like, oh, you know, you're you're high fluid. I've even had people come to me. They were like, you know, was was Kanye West one of your influences? Like, I was doing this maybe 15 years before you knew who Kanye was, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's um, you know, or or were you influenced by the rules? I'm like, you realize that we're contemporaries, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I was, I, I actually heard their first demo tape, um, you know, which was years after I had made my my yeah. demo tape. Like, like, it's it's you know, um, because they don't know you, the value in what you're doing is not not tangible to that them is, until they see it. That is the that is one of the worst parts of being an artist in any context especially right. as a dancer <laughs> or an actor. I can imagine. That, I can imagine. Oh, you you do this? What have I seen you in? But that, okay, what do you do for work? <laughs> where, where, I haven't seen you work anywhere. Does that, 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 that does that devalue? Like, right. I don't go to your right. office and sit next to you and watch you perform, watch you type on a computer to value, to give value to your right. job. So why does it have right. to be that way for me? And then why do I have to be compared not even referenced to another artist, but compared to another artist mm. in order for me to be substantiated for you. Right. Yeah. Also, can't tell you how many times, also, when I moved to LA, oh. even family. So when you, so that's nice. So what do you do for money? Uh, the, I'm doing <laughs> this full time. Yeah. So when are you going to get a real job? Like, it's nice that you're doing this, but, get, like, but every time you see me on a commercial, Right. You're like, oh, that's my brother, that's my nephew, that's my blah blah blah, that's my friend. But anytime I'm I'm struggling in between, it's like, yeah, you should probably give this up and do something else. Right. Oh, right. It's like, oh, right. that shit burnt me up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still I still run into people who have never come to a show, family members who have never mm -hmm. come to a show. Oh, you still do your your little music thing? No, oh, the li the little <laughs> not music, the little music thing. A little music thing. I'm like, yeah, I probably paid more in taxes from that than you've earned this year. Like, I don't. It's not a little music thing. <laughs> ooh, that, but the belittlement of that. Sh ooh, right. Yeah. Are Are you still having fun? Are you still going out with your friends and playing? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we've you know we packed four thousand people into the Kennedy Center. Like, it's not. It stopped being little when I was 15. Like it, it's, <laughs> you know. uh, So we've been, we, we had a friend, we had a, a associate that went to University of Texas in Austin that uh, keyed you on to venues down there, was going around. How do we get into freaking Carnegie Hall, bro? Um, so we got into Carnegie Hall because we rented Carnegie Hall out. Um, for years, I have been reaching out to Carnegie Hall. I was like, hey, you know, we're doing this. We had already performed at the, the Kimmel Center by that time, like three times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we obviously this is this is the, the Mecca. You know, we, we want to perform here. Right. Kept getting the same standard email. You know, we'll check it out, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then I was like, how much just how much does it cost to rent? Like, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just that's. <laughs> Let's let's just cut cut through the middleman, and they gave us they gave us a number, and I was like, I'm I'll be back, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll be back. and put together a Kickstarter, and we got the Kickstarter, got the event funded, 
Um, you know, and for for us getting in there was, you know, getting in there was the moment, right? Like we mm. we we knew we weren't going to make a whole bunch of money back from that show, but getting in there, putting those twenty five black and brown musicians on that Carnegie Hall stage having them look out and see their family look back mm-hmm. at them, right? Like we we had a, a few musicians who had been playing with us for a long time and just been playing the the, the violin or or the horn since they were eight and never thought they they would have this moment. Right. Like this was right. this was more than just something that we thought we would make money on. Like this was a culmination of the work we had done up to that point coming to fruition and saying, hey, listen, we are here we can do this. And that was, that was probably one of the most rewarding shows that, that I've ever been a part of because I felt like it wasn't just for me. Like I was, I was immersed in providing an opportunity for, for people that I, I, I love. Right. Like yeah. this was, this was that. And then I remember that there was, I think she was six or eight uh, a little girl six years old. T- t- <laughs> that was her family brought her there because she she wanted to play and it was she did she actually play a song with you on that on the stage she did she did her her mom um christian harp who's a, a, a an awesome violist from philly as well mm-hmm. um she brought her to our practices you know she was performing with us she brought her to our practices and and you know, the first time she brought her to practice, she's like, she's learned one of your songs. I'm like, what do you mean she's learned one of my songs? And she started playing it, you know, um, with her little tiny six-year-old violin. <laughs> um, and right then and there, we were like, we should make this a part of the show. Um, you know, and we had worked on it for a little bit and brought her, you know, to the stage when it was it was time for her to perform. And she stood there center stage, you know, squeaking up into to the microphone. And she got a standing ovation. Yeah. And and that was. And mind you, everybody, they packed Carnegie Hall. And I was lucky enough to be there. I had just happened to be in the U.S. This was 2005 (laughs) and I had to go back to the U.S. Right. And then uh, three, two of my other girlfriends from uh, school that went to school and danced together with Jeff's wife, uh, who's one of my closest friends. Uh, we all ended up going together. So it was a mini, it was a mini reunion. First off, I just happened to be in the States and being able to support y'all at this venue. Cause I knew what that, I knew what being there meant in general right. was one of the dopest moments I've ever seen to see y'all rock that house. And then you did like two encores. Cause, cause right. <laughs> we, we actually got kicked out at the end because they're like, okay, it's y'all got to go. Right. <laughs> uh, your time, your time limit has expired on what you paid for. So you got to right. pack up and go because nobody wanted to leave in the lobby after the end of the show. We were just chilling, hanging out, just have a conversation stuff. Nobody wanted to leave because it was that dope of a night. It felt like a family reunion at Carnegie Hall, right? It did. <laughs> it was awesome. It, was it awesome. did. So now... After after Carnegie, what what was the feeling? What was the what was the next moment that okay? What do I do next? Um, 
if you remember at Carnegie, like I was, I was so emotionally high and simultaneously drained. Yeah. Like I retired on stage at Carnegie Hall. Um, and then a few months later, we started the, like the phone started to ring, right? And opportunities mm-hmm. started to to present themselves. Um, and you know, we decided to to continue. Um, and you know, the the shows just got just got bigger and 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 better and and you know more opportunities 2017 you know a few years later after that we got in, invited actually 2016 i had tried to begin in, i had tried to get into the the kennedy center mm-hmm. and um again you know trying to say hey we've already done the kimmel center we've now done carnegie hall you know is th- are you interested resistance 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 and then um they booked us as part of a hip-hop festival mm-hmm. and you know the hip-hop festival was like a like a four or five day long thing um and they put us in the lobby um you know for for part you know for for a performance and they paired us with with another group so i had made a facebook event page um and that facebook event page started to blow up it was hip-hop orchestra at kennedy center um and it started to blow up. And the other group was like, hey, we've got an event page. You can go ahead and shut yours down. I looked at their event page. They had like 200 people. Mine had 4,000. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, I'm going to keep this up. <laughs> you guys can jump on and then promote here. Um, and then it started to continue to grow and continue to grow. And by the end, there were 19,000 people who were interested in our performance during this hip hop festival. And the, you know, leading up to the show, I was, I reached out to the Kennedy center and said, Hey, are you guys prepared for what's about to happen? Like, like I've seen this movie before this, this event is free and there are 19,000 people who are interested. Are you prepared? It was like, Oh, well, you know, we've got chairs and stuff like that. And, the night of the show, <laughs> they had to shut the door because they they were filled to capacity. There were over four thousand people in the foyer, and I would say several other thousand people in the parking lot trying to get in. Um, and you know they weren't prepared, and we we rocked that performance. And then I get a call <laughs> a couple months after that, and they're like, "Hey." We want you guys to come and do our New Year's Eve celebration. Um, we couldn't get Wu Tang Clan, <laughs> but we want you guys to come. Right? Like, all right, sure, we'll come. Um, and this was in October, so there mm-hmm. was literally like two months to promote. Sold that show out, and this was a this this was a show where they had to buy tickets in their twenty five hundred seat um, concert theater. hall. Yeah. Sold that show out in like a month and a half. <laughs> um, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I love the fact that it was we couldn't get Wu Tang to perform right. at the Kennedy. Okay, so we've already played the Kimmel Center, Carnegie Hall, and you're going to put me in the lobby, which is essentially the the lit version of the basement, right? In in a hip hop festival, which you're pairing us with another group who only had 200 people on their event, but okay, but it's dope as hell to be, quote unquote, 
second fiddle to that well that, well, that pun was not intended but that's fun second <laughs> fiddle to, <laughs> that's got to be dope to be second fiddle to wu-tang clan like the kennedy center's like we can't get wu-tang but there's this hip-hop orchestra that <laughs> that flooded our lobby right let's see what's up for 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 right. their new year's party for their new year's event it was it was definitely uh in honor <laughs> it was definitely um flattering for sure for sure damn so then where we're at now we're we're still touring the u.s we're selling literally selling out damn near every venue that we touch around the u.s <laughs> how does it work how does it work because now you're uh your orchestra is complemented with local artists from the mm -hmm. area that you're playing. How does that, how many people do you travel with? How many people do you look to fill in in each region? Like how, how does that fill in? So it, it really varies on, on the venue that we, we go to. Like if it's in the tri-state area, like, well, we'll we have a, a, a really good core group of, uh, of musicians. We've been to Texas, you know, probably, eight or nine times at this point. So we'll pick up a, a large section of our ensemble, you know, from, from that area. Um, and what that does um, is it allows the, the musicians who are from the area, you know, the chance for their friends and family to see them, you know, on, mm. on an, an event, you know, such, such as this. Um, and it allows, you know, Andrea and I to connect with musicians, you know, who we wouldn't normally you know, come across and give us that opportunity because we we get just as much from, you know, uh, connecting with new musicians as, as they might get from us. You know, it keeps mm -hmm. us invigorated. It keeps us, you know, excited about about what it is that we do. Like we held auditions the last time we were in Texas um, and got, you know, a, 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 a good young group of musicians, some who were working or some who were students at an HBCU mm -hmm. in Austin. Um, you know, so so these sorts of of connections really kind of, you know, keep the fuel going. Um, and you'll you know, we we we've encountered some extraordinary, you know, musicians who um, deserve some shines, deserve some recognition. You know, one one musician in um, who I can think of, uh, his name is Alan Lawson. He He's from Cincinnati and he was supposed to perform with us the first time we went to C Cincinnati, but he had you know um a huge bout of um performance anxiety you know so he didn't show up and his mother reached out to me and was like hey he has anxiety he really loves you guys he wants to perform with you um and so the next time we went back to cincinnati you know um we made him part of the ensemble he comes to practice and he whips out his violin and he plays his face off Right. And we're like, oh, my God, this guy is a prodigy, you know, <laughs> um, and, the next, and the next time we we perform with that guy, we gave him a solo and he oh. rocked the house, you know, and, and it's it's really it's really, you know, for us, it's really, you know, uh, watching these individuals grow and blossom and, 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 you know, eventually move on to do their own music. It's it's so rewarding for sure. So. So it's dope that you, with all these local artists, that you actually give them a platform because as we talked about before, 
it's there's so many there's so many hindrances there's so many gates in front of them because of what they look like and they're not seen to be capable of playing this that now they're now they're in with family so to speak they're in a safe environment they're in a shared environment they're in a collective environment and now we actually get to again as we talked about bridge that gap between our classic background and our hip-hop background that we are still one we are able to do this and when we do get the time and we do get the space baby do we shine (laughs) absolutely representation is extremely important to us right um and we think about you know, we've we've talked about all the opposition that we received in the beginning. Um, so for us, it's super important to kind of remove some of those barriers if we are able to and say, hey, listen, you know, you can you are good enough to perform on a Kennedy Center stage, a Carnegie Hall stage, a Kimmel Center stage, and you can do it with family. Right. right. You can do it with us and we are going to provide these opportunities. Obviously, we're getting great musicians, you know, that are performing with us, but we're, you know, we're, we're removing some of the barriers to them. Um, you know, so if they later in life decide to, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to do this. What do I need to do to, to perform on on it? Like you've done it, right. You've seen the blueprint. Now you can, now you can go forth and, 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 and not feel as though it's something that's not attainable. And you also mentioned that, you know, after, after playing with you that they get the inspiration to do their own thing as well, that they get a chance to, uh, so to speak, spread their wings and develop their artistry in the way that they want to, that it doesn't have to follow anybody else's linearness that they're like, you know what? I've done this. I can do whatever the hell I want. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's been a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. It's been a beautiful thing watching musicians who have performed with us, you know, really go out into the world and and put forth their music, right? And it doesn't sound like anything from the past or, you know, it's their ideas. And, you know, we, we like to selfishly think that we had a small part in, you know, uh, assisting them in, in, in doing that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really been a beautiful thing to watch. So... So what's next for the Phantom and Ilharmonic? Um, so 2024 will be, you know, sort of um, my personal um, farewell tour. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? So my personal farewell tour um, will be in 2024. Um, what will, will, you know, happen after that will sort of be some some ill harmonic presents, you know, mm-hmm. um, working with, with other, you know, maybe a rock him or, or a mm-hmm. common or a big daddy Kane or, or a queen Latif or an MC light, you know, in, in really doing that. Um, oh. and although my wife doesn't want me to mention it, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, working, working on some, some music, you know, for, for her, um, let's go. You know, yeah. And her it's, name you know, is The Phoenix. The Phoenix. Because okay. she rises and she soars. Absolutely. And she gets it in. It's it's you know, probably the most excited I've been 
um, about making music in quite some time, right? The idea of assisting her is probably the most excited I've been about music for for a while. Um, you know, and I, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I want super great things for her. You know, she's she's been by my side, for, you know, for for quite some time, and it's it's really her time. Like women are are ruling hip hop right now. Yeah. Um, but what there there isn't a, a a voice that's that's happening is is sort of the, you know, um, the woman who's who's the wife, the woman who you know uh, who, who's the dope MC, who's who's the vocalist, um, you know, who who has adult stories yeah. you know adult stories about life and, and things uh, of that nature right um and I, I think there's there's a great space and she's going to be you know she's going to have musicians <laughs> on stage um you know so i, I i'm super excited and super you know excited. i'm happy as hell to hear that because she is a major part of my life uh jeff's wife is one of my besties from uni we dance together and she's like my sis. So to hear that she's getting her comeuppance, let's go. Yeah. Let's long, do it. Long overdue. Long and if you need, overdue. And if you need backup dancers, you know, just um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm only a phone call flight away. You know, I'll, I'll fly home and do the damn thing. We get back, <laughs> we get back up in it. <laughs> we, might, we might set you up on that. Yeah. Listen, y'all know where to find me. No. That's dope. And then... You know, I am I am messing with you because I I really would love to see you continue on, but you have now been in this game for over twenty five years. We're gonna say yeah. almost thirty. We're gonna say yeah. almost thirty. I'm not gonna count it out because you know I like to stay away <laughs> from numbers, but right. I, it's not all good things come to an end. But there's also always the time for the next chapter, the next era, to come right. into play. And yeah. she's been with you from the from the jump, from the get go, and yeah. like I said, it's I'm looking forward to having her have her come up as having her time to shine. Yes, like, yes, it's, uh, it is. It is. It is the two of you. Uh, yes, that are the meat of this. But as the Phantom and the Ill Harmonic, it's time for the Phoenix yes. to rise from the ashes. <laughs> Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm super excited. Nice. Did you say super excited? Super? No, super. <laughs> I was like, I'm like stupid excited, but super excited. I'm, I might have to work on. That. I might have <laughs> to use that one as well. That might be a thing. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap up, there's one more section of this uh, conversation that I do. Mm-hmm. My last name is Gamble. It's a great last name. Uh, what I did is I bought a roulette table filled oh. with 16 shot glasses that are numbered, and each number uh, coordinates with a question. So we okay. spin the magic wheel, question pops up, we read the question, you answer it. Are you game? I like it. It's dope. Nice. I'm game. There's nothing intrusive or intimidating or like dirt filled or anything like that. It's just a little <laughs> fun stuff. I promise. And I, I, I love roulette, so that's a, that's an added bonus. <laughs> All right, all right. Always bet on black. Let's go. Round and round and round. The wheel it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Number 20. 20. Something about music people think they know about but are completely wrong you want to school them about. 
Um, <laughs> uh, before we begin. Um, Let's go. No, so that music, there really isn't much difference in music. It's only 12 notes. There are only 12 notes in Bach. There are only 12 notes in the Beastie Boys, right? It's only 12 notes. So, so this idea that, that, you know, one part of, of music is, is more elevated than the other um, is just, it's uh, colonial thinking, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's something that, that really needs to be, to be done away with. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of proven that, you know, you can, you can put hip hop center stage at Carnegie hall and it can be just as powerful as your 90th rendition of Beethoven nine. Mm-hmm. Can I also add something in that? Sure. That there is no actual, uh, what can I, how can I say this? I know what I want to say. I just have to make sure I say my words right. That for, okay, for a young person of ethnicity to do classical music does not mean that they are stepping out of their lane. Yes, absolutely. We are musicians. We are artists. A lot of the composition and structures of music have been around before color lines were around. Absolutely. A lot of instruments you think are classical European instruments are actually not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So watch the color line, watch the color gatekeeping. That's, you know what, that's what I want to say. The color gatekeeping of music needs to stop, especially when like a black person goes back into rock music. Right. Why are you trying to do the, why are you trying to be white? No, bro. I'm actually taking back our music. Right. (laughs) It's, it's where it originated from, but let's learn from each other. And even though these people have made it popular at this point, doesn't mean that I'm trying to be them. I'm trying to reclaim the power. And I'm not talking about me, people. I'm just saying in general, like these conversations, especially in mainstream music, need to stop that. Now, there is now, there is a difference where, this is going to sound very contradictory, but Black music <laughs> is being co-opted <laughs> yes. into yes. selling music. Yes. But as you said earlier, ooh, that's what I want to talk about. This is a great way to, this is a great way to do this. So there is a video going around. Uh, <laughs> you already know what I'm talking about. There is a video making the rounds where there is an another orchestra that is not the Ill Harmonic right. doing Spotty Adi Dopalicious, if I'm not if I believe it is. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> by Outcast. Right. And Jeff said way earlier in this conversation, you know, there's a difference of playing the music and playing the music and having the soul into it. Now, there's a chance I might play that version and try and find a version of uh, the Ill Harmonic and just to compare, but even though there are 12 notes, there is uh, culture in composition. Yes. That those 12 notes can transcend into space and time in rhythm, ideology, and story. Right. If you are not informed 
of what that cultural essence is, there it is. That cultural right. essence is you play a dangerous game of falling flat. But if you do your research, now again, if you do your research, as a lot of musicians and a lot of great musicians do, you look at a lot of the rock musicians from the 70s, they went and got, if you ever see the documentary uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, they went and got black women to sing the vocals, the backing vocals, because they knew nobody else could get that church sound, that earthy sound, that quote unquote black sound that they wanted to have in these rock songs. And I'm talking about the Rolling Stones, Leonard Skinner, uh, like all these musicians that wanted this sound to happen, even the Beatles. So right. you have to sometimes go back to the source material of where it comes from to get that sound, right. but that's not being color lined saying that, oh, stay in your lane here, stay in your lane there. You have to go to the root of the composition of those 12 notes. Absolutely. And in watching that video, um, for me, it felt like um, they were playing the song, but not, but devoid of the soul. Right. You know, um, and anyone can read read the sheet music. Um, Spodiote has a certain bounce to it, has a certain mm-hmm. funk to it, has a certain groove to it um that you know needs needs to come alive like we do have a version of of spodiote um in in that version our keyboard player gets funky our bass player gets funky like yes the is there but there's dancing in between those notes you know mm-hmm. that, that you can hear and you can you can feel um and it it really like you says taps into the culture of of the song um you know like i said before we used to drag 50 60 year old you know players from the philadelphia orchestra out to the out to the clubs and it wasn't it wasn't their scene Mm -hmm. um and it showed you know so when i look at that video i'm just like yeah you you scored out the music (laughs) um (laughs) but there's 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 a, a switch that needs to get flipped to to really drive it home Mm mm-hmm and part of and part of that can go into that, as you mentioned earlier, that colonial colonistic mindset of music of right. yes, but it should sound like this, or this is the refinement of it, or it's nice that you're doing this, which is a lot of times why you were told when you contacted these uh venues that, yeah, we'll look into it, but are you really a good fit for our audience because of the hip hop thing that you do? You know what I mean? It's that hierarchical uh colonistic mindset of what's refined art and what's for the common folk people we'll put it that way yeah and and one thing i I'll, I'll say in, uh, in along the lines of that is we as the ilharmonic are careful not to strip away the essence of the song i like, guess we can re- we can reproduce something but we don't feel the need to over orchestrate something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of times when you watch um, some other quote unquote hip hop orchestras, they'll they'll take what's something that has a pocket, something that's maybe eight bar and it loops or something like that, and they feel the need to deviate, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not challenging enough for them as an ensemble. And once they start to go outside those lines, you kind of 
lose the essence of the song. Like I've I've seen people do cover of of you know Biggie, and there's no lyricist. Like Biggie didn't make that beat, right? Like where's PMC? Where's 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 Biggie is a vocalist. You can't pay a tribute to Biggie Smalls or Notorious B.I.G. without the vocals, right? Right. Otherwise, you're just you're just playing a beat that Puffy had a producer make, right? Like you're paying an homage to Puffy, right? Um, right. Which is not what you're trying to do. And so, you're not even paying an homage you know, to Puffy. Uh, you're paying an homage to Puffy sampling the original song that it was there. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like if you're if you're doing Big Pop and you're just you just have the instrumentation, it's between the sheets. Between the sheets by the Isleys. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so it's it's so we're careful, you know, even though we are hip hop and we're a hip hop orchestra and we are part of the culture, we are careful not to, you know, strip away the essence of, of the song. There. Music lesson one oh one people. Essence. Music has an essence. Yes. Sometimes it's more soulful than others. Uh, <laughs> where, where did you come up? Where did you come up with the name the Phantom and the El Harmonic? Um, so Phantom uh, came from Phantom of the the Opera, um, one of my favorite books. Um, you know, uh, I felt as though there were a lot of similarities. You know, being being in the dark. You know. Mm. <laughs> Um, having a love for music, um, finding finding uh, a, a partner and a wife <laughs> who mm. also has a, a, a love of music, but kind of you know you know me being in in the shadow and and, and stuff like that. Um, the ill harmonic, you know, uh, in searching for a, a name for the group, like this still harmonic, but I was like, you know, we're a hip hop orchestra. What do you guys think of the ill harmonic? And that stuck. You know, and it, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it grew, it grew from there. Um, and it's also y'all you know, ill as hell. <laughs> yes, there it is. <laughs> Just like the Illadelph. Yes. Uh, if people want to find out more about the Phantom, the Phoenix, and the Ill Harmonic, yes, uh, especially before your twenty-four getaway. 24 <laughs> final uh, year. Where can they find you? As you can go to our website, um, thephantomhiphop.com. So T H E E P H A N T O M, hiphop.com. You can find us on Instagram at illharmonic.orchestra. You can find us on YouTube, um, YouTube slash The Phantom. Um, you can find us on Facebook slash Illharmonic Orchestra. Uh, we're, we're all over the place, man. Dope. And do you have any? For 24, do you have anything lined up yet or we're taking a little break now? No. So we, we start back up in, in like March, um, you know, looking to do Miami, um, possibly Philly again, possibly Newark. Um, you know, we have some shows and uh, we have a show in Illinois. Uh, we're hitting San Antonio, possibly Dallas. Um, so we're, we're, we're looking to be all over, man. Sweden. <clears throat> <laughs> we're, we're working on Europe. Um, I was just emailing someone uh about london today so we'll you know we'll try to make our way over to sweden for sure listen talk to let's let's talk because you know i'm a doer yes i say i'm gonna do something <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make it happen but seriously i have already two venues in mind uh th i actually have three venues in mind that i can see you at between sweden and denmark 
Okay. Yes. Let's, let's connect. Let's We're do down it. For it for sure. All right. All right. So we have uh, thephantomhiphop.com. Yes. We have Ilharmonic Orchestra on Instagram. Ilharmonic.orchestra. .orchestra. Ilharmonic.orchestra yeah. on uh, Instagram. Then we have Facebook, Ilharmonic. Ilharmonic Orchestra, yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, be on the lookout YouTube. for YouTube. The Phantom. All right, there it is. And then if you're not doing it already, make sure you follow at Gamble's Green Room. <laughs> Tired. And if you're not doing it already, make sure you're following at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram to stay up to date of all of my guests, some behind the scenes goodies and some clips of what they've been up to and what they're going to be doing. Bruh, Mr. McNeil, Mr. Phantom. I love the fact Thank that you. actually your name came from the Phantom of the Opera because I never would have connected that. But that also goes back to that. No, literally, I thought it was just like, that's what you, that was, you know, like a street name. Like one of my street names was Styles because I'm a man of many. So I thought it was just like, right. a, but that's dope because that actually connects even more with Andrew fucking Lloyd Webber, this whole classical yes. thing that like we come from a damn opera now. Like the story of Phantom of the Opera. Like that's dope, yes. bro. <laughs> for sure. Uh, man, Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing the Thank story. You. Thank you for highlighting the fact that we do have place in hip hop and in classical music. Yes. And people want it. They're just not yes. given access to it. Absolutely. Bruh. I can't wait to see you again. I'm going to have to come back to the U.S. in 24 or get your ass here. In yes. Sweden. Like, Either I, or. I, <laughs> There, there actually are some grants I can apply for, for international exchanges to get that financial support in there as well. So I'm gonna look into that. Look, you Please. know me. If I say something, I'm gonna do it. Yes, we gonna make it <laughs> Absolutely. happen. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Love you, bro. Miss you guys. Hope to see you soon. And let's catch up soon again. Absolutely. Much love, fam. Love. Uh.